Yeah, this is going to be a concise show, I think. I can tell you what I think about when schedules came out as a player. Uh, I'll go through my favorite games, games I'm looking forward to, some snippets from different teams. Uh, I'm also going to hit Clowney in Seattle. Uh, I'm going to talk about the NFL laying out some protocols uh, as well, and we'll do a mailbag at the end. The show writes itself this week uh, for the first time in a little while. I mean, we've been able to do last dance stuff. It's been pretty self-explanatory when we've had to do that. But uh, other than the draft, there's been no template, no blueprint to churning out the content. So when I found out that they would be doing a three-hour schedule presentation tonight for a season that might not even happen, uh, I thought to myself, well, this is some easy content but it sucks I have to stay up late. Do they really have to drag this thing out? I was worried that they might hold the schedules till the back end of the show and they would just talk and talk for three hours. And that would delay me talking and talking into a microphone uh, in my home office. Uh, so that was not the case. Got the schedules. They all leaked in the uh, hour or hours before. We've known the opponents uh, for months now. So it is certainly nice to have some football, even if it's the illusion of football. As I mentioned, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm really not. And it's funny to me how, um, you know, we're just going about our business and talking about this thing on TV like it's full speed ahead. The NFL is in denial. Either that or they're just selling a product of confidence, and I get it. I mean, they're the most powerful uh, league. There's no domino effect with them. You know, they're not looking up at another league to see what they do. Basketball is certainly going to be an interesting thing to watch this summer and how that unfolds. Uh, but the season, not only the start of the season, how many fans can be in the stands and then possibly withstanding, God forbid, a second surge, which I think is probably likely in some capacity. I mean, that's all but been confirmed. So we'll see how severe that is and we'll see what that looks like. First things first, Clowney in Seattle. So we've got John Schneider beginning to talk in the past tense again about uh, Clowney. He's, he's talking in, in, in terms of, hey, we made a good run at it. Uh, that sounds like he's over it. Clowney doesn't seem to be a part of their equation. He wanted too much money early. Uh, you know, he, he was seeking like 21 mil. The asking price went down to 17 mil last month. The Hawks have some money in cap space, uh, but they got Bruce Irvin coming in, his contract. Um, the Hawks didn't have anybody that really could rush the passer last year, save for Clowney, who was very disruptive. But again, nobody had over four sacks on their team. They were 28th in the league as a group. And maybe they're just happy with the two edge guys they got. Um, maybe they're happy with the guys they got in the draft and Taylor and Robinson. I really like Taylor a lot. I think that Taylor's going to have north of four sacks this year alone. I don't think he's going to be as disruptive as a Jadavian Clowney. But if those are the numbers you're putting a premium on, I think Taylor's going to have a nice year if he can stay healthy. I think he projects well to the next level. So Clowney, the options as, as, it, as it stands uh, this week seem to be Cleveland, Tennessee. You know, I've heard about Philly. Can they get over the Carson thing there? Um, and quite frankly, do, do they think they need him? Is there a spot on the field for him on third down? I would say yes, if he showed up, somebody's got to move. 
somebody's got to move inside, somebody's got to move over, because Fletcher Cox and Jadavian Clowney on the same field would be terrifying. Um, you know, I think the reason that 21 mil is not being thrown at him is obviously production, um, but it's also the fact that he's on the back end of his 20s and he's got um, an injury history, obviously the knee, he's got a core muscle surgery he's coming off of. And, you know, at that price, it's a big risk if you can't get a physical. And he says he wants to play for a contender. Well, that really narrows the list down, doesn't it? That's why I asked the question here, what's wrong with Seattle? Seattle is going to be as good as anybody um, out there in that division. I don't expect San Francisco to be quite as good as they were last year. And I expect Seattle to be just as good and better. Um, so I, I think if you're looking to play for contender, some familiarity for you, unless there's something I don't know about, Clowney in Seattle seems like just a fine fit. But I could see him in Cleveland opposite Miles Garrett. I thought that Tennessee could really use some edge rush, and they didn't have it consistently. And he's a guy that you can move around. Uh, so the GM, Robinson, and Tennessee confirmed that two have been in contact. Uh, again, he's looking at Tennessee and Cleveland. We'll see where Jadavian Clowney uh, lands. Again, he wants to play for contender. The uh, the options are narrower when you say that. Uh, we'll see if he means it, and we'll see how how close he sticks to his guns on that uh, on that seventeen million number because it doesn't seem like he's going to get that at this point. He also seems comfortable to sit and wait it out. NFL laying out some protocols this week. Uh, they sent out a memo that vaguely details a possible way back to NFL teams starting May 15th. So basically, facilities have been shut down since March. Players and coaches doing virtual meetings and training. Uh, they want to be ready to implement that first phase, May 15th. That's the goal. And at that point, um, the NFL can be advised on reopening. Um, and in the memo, it's important to note that there's really no mention of uh, uniform action. So teams could stagger their phases depending on where they are geographically, um, depending on what's going on locally in that state. Uh, and further discussions obviously going to take place at the digital league, league meeting May 19th. Uh, the first phase, you know, May 15th, it sounds like it's about 50% of the staff at most. That's like 75 people a day uh, tops. Um, everybody socially distancing, obviously. Um, and you'd be looking at the players who have been rehabbing injuries coming back first. So players that really need to get in the building, players that haven't had the time to do that. And, you know, that's one of the hardest things. If you're rehabbing on your own, and I've done that in the NFL, it's really difficult. A lot of players do it uh, because they trust their own guys. But to be held accountable to do the little things, the minutia that you get in a training room where you have to show up at a certain time and they're watching you in person do it, um, you know, it's not the same thing. So players that can get back and they need back, they want back. Um, May 15th, that way it would include, would include those guys. Um, you know, some, some guidelines that would happen. And by the way, phase two has no timeline at this point. Guidelines for what phase one might include. Uh, you need to receive permission from state and local government. You need to receive sufficient cleaning supplies. Obviously, I don't know what that entails um, because there's a ton of cleaning supplies at NFL facilities anyways because of, you know, staff and that sort of thing and, you know, flu outbreaks and that sort of thing and surfaces needing to stay clean, you know, every fall. We saw it last fall with teams, flu bugs going through and wiping out a bunch of players. You know, that's the way it is. It gets cold. Guys are in close contact all day. Um, you know, a ton of surfaces from the cafeteria to the training room 
to cold tubs, the hot tubs. Um, and that's not taking into account the constant threat of MRSA and staff, which can be really scary too. provide COVID safety training uh, for everyone returning to the office um, and create an infection response team made up of doctors and players. Okay, well, that sounds good, but we're kind of trusting uh, these people that we don't trust uh, with our bodies, with our lives, because a lot of times players talk about, okay, you know, a trainer rushing me back out on the field, you know, am I safe to go out yet? Do they have the team's best interest in mind? Do they have my best interest in mind? Now, I would assume that trainers will be extra vigilant about this thing because this is life or death. This is not, you know, obviously uh, not everybody gets sick, dies, but, you know, it's potentially life or death. Um, This is not a situation where you're trusting somebody to read your MRI on your ankle. This is COVID. So, you know, that's a leap of faith, trusting the folks that you say you don't trust with your body to say, like, these guys are the ones that are going to oversee my recovery if I get sick by testing, watching my symptoms. Obviously, with, with an ankle, there's an incentive there to mask you know, um, some of the symptoms, some of the realities of a soft tissue injury because you work for the team. Get back out there. You, know, you, you, you got to take a chance. Uh, you got to get out there and, and, and help the team, see what you can do, that sort of thing. That doesn't serve trainers and everybody else in the building as well if you're talking about the coronavirus. There is a you know, self-serving element to making sure people are not sick because you don't want that running through an entire facility. So although there will be concerns as there always are with players trusting uh, in-house folks, they're going to have to, because the reality is um, it's not really about team versus player here. It's about everybody staying safe. And that'll be interesting whenever that happens. Uh, You also need to designate an infection control officer to be the first point of contact uh, for somebody infected. That's wild. Uh, just knowing you, you got to be that person. I don't know what that entails. Like you maybe have to get that person out of the facility, go talk to them. You can be the only one that, that comes in, in close contact with them. Uh, I don't know what it entails, but it's crazy. Also, you know, uh, another thing with this COVID thing that's been floating around this week in the NFL schedule and the protocols is the UK is out. I mean, there's no trips to London this year. Uh, in 2006 was the last year the NFL didn't play in London. Uh, there have been 28 games played there since. It's supposed to be uh, a mainstay uh, for the NFL. Momentum's been building, or so they say. You know, the Jags, they're basically the London fucking Jaguars. It's crazy. I mean, it's crazy how many people love that team over there. We played them uh, when I was with Philly, and they've done a good job with implementing uh, football as far as that market's concerned over there. It's, it's ironic, the culture clash between London and Jacksonville, but those are the satellite cities for the Jaguars franchise. Um, and they were supposed to have a couple games over there. No, not a couple games over there. They were supposed to have one game over there. The league was supposed to have four games this year there. And the Jags have played there annually since 2013. And they were supposed to have uh, two this year. Okay, they were supposed to have two games there this year, which is insane. I mean, just to think about that. It's, it's a long trip. It's a lot on your body. Um, so I'm sure Jaguars, uh, the players, the organization is probably psyched, you know, south of ownership that you don't have to go across the pond twice. It's, it's a cool thing to do once, but I wouldn't want to do it every year. I certainly wouldn't want to do it twice in a year. That's actually a win for the Jags um, and, and a loss for them getting Trevor Lawrence. Um, not that there's a home team truly over there, 
both teams have to take the trip, but I'm just not excited if I'm a player and, um, you know, I have to go across the pond once or twice in a year. If I've done it already, it's good enough for me. No Mexico City as well this year. Um, so schedule came out tonight with those protocols in mind. Uh, this is always uh, an interesting time for players because you do pay attention to stuff. I mean, you know your opponents pretty early. And when I talk about the schedule, I'm talking about both processes. You know, first, seeing the opponents, then tonight, uh, which they made into a primetime event here on Thursday night. Um, they uh, – and by the way, guys, so you're getting confused here. I'm, I'm recording late Thursday night. It's damn near Friday morning. I know I keep switching up the day. Does it even fucking matter what day it is? Enjoy the pod. Hopefully I'm not fucking you up too much here. It's Friday morning when you're listening. It's late Thursday night when I'm recording. Uh, this Thursday night, it's been a primetime thing. Um, you know, we already knew the opponents again, so that there's no – and I wonder sometimes if they should reveal it all at once. I haven't really thought about that or gone down that road and thought about why they might not do that. But if they could reveal the schedule all at once without it leaking, that would be crazy. That would be a crazy night. Um, but they obviously don't do that. Tonight, you figure out the ordering of, uh, of the schedule, and we knew the opponents for a few, a few months here. But as a player, I was really into figuring out, one, which tackles am I going to play? How do I match up with the guys that I'm going to play this year out of conference? Um, how early and how late do I play against certain teams in conference? You know, when I was in St. Louis, we constantly played Seattle at Seattle week 17. You knew it. Uh, as certainly as you knew anything on your schedule, that you were going to Seattle and you were going to play in 48-degree rainy weather against Marshawn Lynch and Russell Wilson. That defense was going to make a play in the fourth quarter. Uh, shit. Yeah, bad memories. You guys get the idea. I did it a bunch. Um, you know, you look at things like hot weather games, cold weather games. You look at things like, you know, how early in the season am I going to have to play somewhere hot? If I got to go to Tampa for the opener like we did, in Philly in 2018, that's going to be a motherfucker. Um, yes, camp has you in shape for the heat, but there is nothing like your first football game because you add the adrenaline in. Obviously, the physical exertion steps up from camp. There's no way you can go 100% in camp. 100% demands adrenaline and somebody you don't know in front of you. Uh, you know, you can play damn near 100% in camp. Team, team periods get it done. Uh, but there's nothing like that out-of-breath feeling, that first drive down in Tampa, and they throw that ball to Deshaun Jackson and the pirate ship, uh, you know, the, the cannons are going off, uh, and, and shit has hit the fan, and your heart rate's at about 140. Like, those are the games I was looking at, and I was saying, man, I hope I don't have to play in one of those games every year. I'd rather play the hot game late in the year. That's what the Patriots do with the Dolphins, it seems like, a lot. We went down there late in the year. It's really nice. Rams, we used to do it with the Cardinals. Uh, we used to go to uh, Arizona damn near Christmas, and it was really nice getting off that plane. It's 20 degrees in St. Louis, and it's damn near 80 degrees uh, with no humidity when you land in Arizona. You love stuff like that. It's like a warm blanket. Come on in. Get some of this warmth. Get some of this sunshine. Go out there. Your joints feel good. Running around on grass that they've carted into the, the Cardinal Stadium. It looks like a toaster. And, uh, and it's a thing of beauty. You're just happy as a clam because you feel good uh, and you play good because your body hasn't felt this warm since damn September. Um, 
and it's just great. So you look for hot games, you look for cold games, uh, you look at long plane rides, that's a big one, short weeks, you have to play on Thursday night, how many primetime games you, ha you have. Early in my career for eight years, I didn't even look at the time a day that we played. Um, it didn't really matter um, because I just knew we were pretty much playing at noon. And in the Midwest, you play at noon, it sucks on central time, you have to wake up super early. Uh, you know, when you're on the East Coast, you get that one o'clock game. That was a new thing for me, obviously, late in my career. But primetime games, didn't didn't really get used to them in St. Louis. You know, I wasn't a huge fan of them after the shock of, oh, my God, people care about the team I'm playing on uh, wore off in New England because it's just all day in the hotel. And you're, you're just sitting there with your thoughts. You take a nap. You get groggy. You got to wake yourself up. You know, you, you, you go down, 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 get tired. And then you wake up and you're sleepy when you get to the stadium. I got to chug five coffees. I don't even drink coffee. I'm like, it's like I'm on cocaine for three days off all that coffee just to get up for a night game. I don't love night games. So I look for the night games, look at the plane rides, obviously. And that, again, it depends on the, um, the coach you have. Some coaches are smart and they get you out there two days early for a West Coast trip. I believe in that. A lot of players I know believe in that. You don't try to fly across the country. Uh, in coach, and these are big guys. It's not about the luxury. It's about the size of these cats. You don't have Brandon Brooks sitting in coach. That kind of sucks. Um, you know, we had some big guys in St. Louis as well. Um, New England was very good about that. Again, I mentioned that on Ryan Rosillo's Ringer Pod, that Bill, winner of all these championships, he sits back in coach, and the players ride in the front. If you're older, if you're a vet, or if you're a starter, that sort of thing. You get that big uh, reclining seat because you deserve it. If any, uh, you really want to look look up there and see your five foot seven, you know, uh, linebacker coach or coordinator sitting up there who didn't play a lick of football and has not certainly played a lick of football this week. That's not sore and tired and doesn't have to go out there and play the next day. Um, you're looking at him like he's on fucking um, Royal Dutch Airlines up there. They're getting him orange juice and shit and peanuts. And you're back there, and I'm like rubbing elbows with with um, William Hayes, and you know they we're, we're two to a to a row, just stacked up like sardines. Like that's not what you want. So, who's your coach? How many West Coast trips do you have? How many East Coast trips do you have? Seattle's one that we'll talk about. They might look at that. That's the stuff you think about. Um, also, I think about tackles. I mentioned that earlier. I think about quarterbacks. That's one of the first things I think about. Listen, my career, I got evaluated ultimately on how many sacks I had in a season. I mean, that's what people look at at the end of the day with defensive ends, um, you know. And so winning and beating a tackle is great, but if I was the Eagles, for instance, this year, and I know I'm playing Lamar one week, I'm like, damn it, dude. That's a week where you just try to run around as much as you can. It's a totally different system, and it's going to slow you down from a run game standpoint. And if you get there, you're not going to tackle him at the same rate you're going to be able to tackle Tom Brady. So for rushers, you look at the quarterbacks you got. If I have like Kirk Cousins, Tom Brady, uh, you know, Drew Brees, a bunch of those guys, I'm pretty cool with it. Um, so yeah, those are the things you look at. Now, another thing that came out tonight was that there were a bunch of schedule cards. That was like, um, that was a thing of beauty. I think people have been waiting to see something like a schedule card to at least confirm there's a chance we do this thing. Um, so you're saying there's a chance. All the schedule cards kind of came out, trickled in as the night went on. 
and I could actually get my notes going um, as I'm watching. Like right now, I'm sitting here watching Darius Leonard get interviewed. It was nice to not have to wait through this whole uh, show to get this team schedule and that team schedule. The schedule cards were out. Bears might have had one of the worst schedule cards. I feel old and totally out of touch, but they got this like uh, claymation people thing going on. And uh, the Bears mascot looks claymation. And there's all these terrified mascots looking up at the Bears mascot who's holding like a bus. And it's lyrical lemonade. Maybe Cowboy Reed, my producer, knows exactly what that is. And he's laughing at me. Uh, I have no fucking clue what that is. Maybe I'm dating myself. Cincy, my dog, Sam Hubbard, on the fucking schedule card. You made it. WDE in the building. Sam Hubs. Good dude. And uh, a good player. And he's on the schedule card. You know, anything can happen. Anything is possible. Packers, schedule card. Looks like it was made on Microsoft Paint. That thing is terrible. Shout out to Charles Barkley. It's terrible. Um, the Rams also did not know that teams were sinking uh, budgets into these schedule cards. The Rams schedule card is shameful as well. When you have a stadium like SoFi, you can't, like, get your graphic team to work a little longer. You just are you tired from the new uniforms, from the new logo from all taking all the heat on Twitter. Uh, you got to come out with a competitive schedule card. I mean, the Bengals did it. They put my dog, Sam Hubbard on the cover, uh, the bears, you know, the bears, I don't like it, but they did something. The Rams didn't do anything on the schedule card. Saints also have a refrigerator looking ass schedule card from 2003. You know, um, if you're a college football fan and you live in a college town, you get like a magnet schedule card from a local bar and grill. That's what the Saints schedule card looks like. Um, so yeah, just be competitive with the schedule cards. The Saints maybe, I mean, like they know they're fucking good at football. They don't need the schedule card. Um, great job with the Eagles. Some really electric green in there. A cool logo outline. And uh, Wentz, baby. Wentz on the schedule card. Um, I think Jalen Hurts is probably back there in the background looming somewhere um, with Howie somewhere on that schedule card, superimposed. Uh, I'll have to look closer. Kirk Cousins tonight um, was a star so far, at least on the uh, season schedule reveal. He was smiling for a three-minute solid stretch on an interview. He did not stop smiling the whole time. Um, I have no idea. What he's so excited about, it might be what I'm just about to mention, which is what he was asked about, and that was the franchise tag as it pertains to Dak Prescott and the advice you would give somebody who gets the franchise tag. And Kirk Cousins, of course, has been broken the fuck off over his career. That might be why he can't stop smiling. His advice to Dak was that the, the franchise tag can be your friend, buddy. Uh, that is an easy thing to say right now uh, when it's worked out for you, but for Dak, I don't know. Not so much. Although I do think Dak should come to terms with the Cowboys and get paid and just call it a day and get his security locked up. Um, and oh my God, I mean, they, like, listen, I'm going to do it on this pod in a second here where I try to stretch some of these matchups into being interesting or noteworthy. Um, they definitely were doing that with some of these matchups uh, here tonight. I mean, fuck it. We, we, I've said fuck a lot this, this pod. Um, Screw it. 
you know, we, 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 we got this thing for three hours guaranteed. Who knows when the next time we're going to have any football related, uh, you know, live coverages. Uh, let's do it now. Let's pump matchups like Pete Carroll visiting New England as a revenge reunion game. You know, like they literally put up a graphic of like reunion games. Does that, I mean, like I'm 35 and I barely remember Pete Carroll in uh, New England, like barely. It's, it's not a reunion game. It's Bill's been there for a hundred years. There's no term limit for Bill in New England. And, you know, they're pumping up games like that. Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of storylines. We're going to stretch here. Okay. But here are some things I saw with the schedule. Just real quick. Let's hit these team to team. Okay. Everybody wants to talk about the Buccaneers. Man, you see how that happened? The Bucs, I don't know how many national windows they had last year, how many primetime games they had last year. I'm pretty sure it wasn't a lot. This is what a 43-year-old can do for you. Uh, five primetime games, nine national window games. The schedule, as you look at it, is good for them, especially late. They'll play at home a lot uh, or versus dome teams. This is going to be a kind schedule to Tom's body. Tom has not traditionally, to my memory, uh, played his best ball in the state of Florida. So the entire move, uh, if you put it in that terms, uh, is questionable. But listen, I think it had more to do with going down to Miami every, every you know, late in the season for them, uh, playing a team that always is up for them, that sort of thing. I think the warm weather is going to help his body. I think he's going to be excited about playing down there late in the year. Uh, the coldest game on the schedule for them is week 10 in Charlotte. I mean, Brady takes all this shit into consideration. I guarantee you he saw that shit. And this is the craziest stat of them all uh, when you look at the Bucks and Tom Brady. Uh, Tom has been favored in 74 consecutive regular season starts. Week one, they play New Orleans. They are six and a half point dogs, which makes little sense to me uh, other than you know the offseason and the concerns about getting on the same page because he has more fucking talent in Tampa than he had in 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 New England the past few years um and that defense is damn good so it's wild that that streak comes crashing down not just you know in one week to the Saints but they're damn near a, a touchdown dog um so that'll be interesting and that'll be a marquee matchup right off the bat I think they're going to win uh, a lot of games on the, on the first uh, half of that schedule. I was looking at Ryan Clark. He had them going on a big winning streak as you looked at, uh, at this thing tonight. Um, but I agree with Ryan when he said that they're going to lose that first game against the Saints. Too much continuity there to walk into that situation, I think, uh, and go toe-to-toe with a team that's been doing the same thing for some time and a quarterback who at this stage in his career is an equal at the least. So. Uh, I think they lose that game the first the first week, and then they go on a run. The Pats, tough schedule, lots of West Coast trips, West Coast teams, uh, late trip to Miami. They have the toughest schedule in the league for the first time in uh, in Bill's history as head coach there, uh, for whatever that's worth. Uh, but the Miami trip late, look at that one. You know, they've struggled there, as I mentioned. It could be a sobering day for Pats fans, and I'm not trying to write off Pats fans. Listen, you know, I know every year that's kind of the thing. Everybody's writing you off. You got to create uh, an underdog mentality a little bit if that's possible. I know, I know how that works. Uh, I know psychology. I know a little bit of psychology. Um, 
74 consecutive regular season starts Tom Brady has been favored. Okay, so people are going to count you out this year because you have Jared Stidham as your quarterback. Okay, are you ready for this? It's fair. It's okay that people are thinking you might not make the playoffs or that you might you might end up south of your nine-win total. That doesn't mean that Bill's not the best coach of all time and that I don't love all the players and that you know they're, they're not a terrific organization. But it's going to be a long year. And when they play Miami late in the year, that's going to be a tough one uh, because Miami by then, could they have Tua starting? Could they be gelling as a team? A lot of young players, a lot of draft picks uh, late in the season. You know, if they play the Pats that second game, they could win that game again. They beat them this year, uh, this past year, as things were. Um, so that's one I'm going to look at. Um, you know, Snowbirds, they like to make the trip down there anyways. Not going to stop any Pats fans. Uh, you know, but losing could be less irregular at that point in the season. You also have Jimmy G October 15th, uh, and the Pats get all the up-and-coming young quarterbacks. Uh, last two MVPs, Watson, Murray, uh, they've got a lot of young QBs to play against, uh, athletic quarterbacks as well. San Francisco, all I care about with that, with, with that team schedule is the week uh, 15, Christmas week, Sunday night football showdown with Dallas. That just looks like 90s football. It looks nostalgic. Those uniforms. Listen, if it gets there, I will be fucking ecstatic. I have a I have a holiday Woody right now. I have a holiday boner. I have my my uh my holiday cheer is at 110 just thinking about and I hate the Cowboys. Just thinking about watching the Cowboys play the Niners on a Sunday night, uh hung over from the night before because I was out with my friends at a bar, you know, hanging out with my family, my kids running around, there's a fire. I'm watching the Cowboys and the Niners just like when I was a kid. And life is back to normal. Man, that pandemic, you remember that thing? Yeah, things are much better now. Guess what? That's not how it's going to go down. There's probably going to be like no fans in the fucking stands. I'm going to be Zooming with my family on, uh, on Christmas. That's uh, the pessimistic outlook, positive outlook, is that this will be a great barometer for how well we've done. Give ourselves a hand. We get to enjoy Niners, Cowboys, Sunday Night Football, uh, Christmas week. That would be pretty cool. That'd be cool. We'll see. Kansas City, week four, thing jumps out, jumps out at me is they could really get after the Patriots. And that's a game that every year you look at and you say, when the two play, that the Patriots certainly have the Jedi mind um, advantage over, you know, Kansas City and even Andy Reid. That monkey is off Andy Reid's back after last year. This is a new uh, era in both these teams' uh, franchises. And the matchup's going to look totally different. They could kill him. I mean, they, they, they could. I mean, that's a good defense on the other side. But if Jared Stidham goes to Kansas City, the arrowhead and gets that win, his fourth week is a starter, presumably. I mean, put him in the Hall of Fame. Put him in the fucking Hall of Fame. Philly, that October really stands out to me. Okay, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, ooh, New York. Okay, that's a division game. They played you know, Philly tough the past few years, including when I was there. Um, so I, I know that well. That's not a, a week you can sleep on. That is a tough month. The only saving grace here is that the first 10 weeks of the, the season, Philly doesn't have to fly really anywhere but that West Coast trip, week four, and then a cross-state trip to Pittsburgh, which is like a 40-minute flight 
including taxiing, I bet. And, you know, I mentioned that on Twitter and people were like, well, you know, you can bust there at six hours. And by the time you go through security and blah, 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 Twitter knows no bounds, man. Just like, dude, you don't know it all. You don't go through security when you're an NFL player going to game. You just don't. You, you don't. You, you, you go pull up to the tarmac and you get on the plane. They give you a Chick-fil-A sandwich and they cram you in coach. And you're in the metal tube for 20 minutes and you, uh, you wake up from your snooze in Pittsburgh. That's how it goes. So you're not going to bust to Pittsburgh. Those are the two flights you've got. You've got San Francisco on the West Coast. You've got Pittsburgh across the state. Ten weeks of just bus trips to Washington, bus trips to like, I think Baltimore's at home or maybe Baltimore's on the road. But I, I looked at their schedule. They have two flights the first 10 weeks. It's great. And I love bus trips. If you're a player and you get a chance to play somewhere, where you do bus trips. It's the best thing in the world. Some guys don't like it. I love it. Seattle. Okay, we mentioned this. Uh, you know, East Coast trips. It's funny because as i gotten in this, I, I've realized a lot of people had this thing. And by got into this, I, I meant like got into the media. I did not know that it was a thing that Russell Wilson was supposed to be bad in like daytime or noon games um, or that he wasn't himself. And I bought into it for a second as a gambler and it didn't work out well this year uh five eastern standard time games this this year for them in 2020 they have killed it on the east coast they're 19 and 6 on the road in the east coast that's the best in the league since russ got in the league so uh when we say daytime russ or any of these little nicknames people have for russ playing in in noon games or whatever or one o'clock games uh yeah you might want to look twice at that Uh, They got five of them this year. They're going to be a good football team. They're also a mature football team, a well-coached football team, depending on who you ask. I think it's a coach with experience that's going to know operationally how to take advantage of uh, rest, recovery, and, uh, you know, he's doing something right. He's a very forward-thinking, progressive coach from a standpoint of players' bodies and that sort of thing. So I'd be interesting to hear what they do uh, that separates them, other than having one of the winningest quarterbacks this millennium uh jets and dolphins um this is this is an interesting one they played two weeks in a row with a bye week sandwiched in the middle very fucking weird it is conceivable that you could suit up for the jets one week uh get cut and get picked up by the dolphins the next week and you could play your old team a week later um who just played your new team i don't know if that's first ever if that happens but players move the waiver wire is active all the time, especially in division. You pick up guys um, that 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 know your opponent. You know, a lot of times you pick them up for a week or two, whatever. That would be interesting. I don't know if that's ever happened. Probably has. Um, that thought just came to me. Could be just a worthless, worthless mental exercise. But maybe, maybe, uh, maybe two weeks in a row we could have that happen. Um, MetLife will host six games uh, through five weeks. That's pretty bizarre. Um, and then the Rams are opening so far with the Cowboys in week one. That should be a no-miss for them. Uh, if you're going to have fans in the stands, I just wouldn't use it as a uh, predictor of future outcomes, uh, not in L.A. I do think that team's going to struggle to sell tickets in that big, shiny new building if it's not a big deal like opening week against Dallas. Uh, the games that I'm looking forward to a little bit here, okay, Pats Chargers, two teams that lost their longtime fixtures, a quarterback. The Pats have kind of tormented the Chargers 
the game I remember most recently is when they absolutely just ran the ball up their ass in the playoffs uh, in route to their Super Bowl victory two years ago. Uh, and how much better are the Chargers without Brady? That's what we're going to find out because you could make a case um, – you can make a case that the Chargers might be even favored in that game. I don't know. Um, we'll see what happens. But anyways, it's going to be super weird. You're going to be watching uh, those two teams that have been set at quarterback for well over a decade apiece, two decades for the Patriots, and uh, it's going to look different. It's going to look weird. It's going to look like preseason. You're going to have to get used to it. But two good defenses there. Niners, Pats mentioned that, 28-3 Shanahan. Um, you know, that sort of thing, the, the, the blown lead. And obviously the, the lead here uh, is Jimmy G. I mean, what if Kraft hasn't had enforced Bill's hand? Uh, Jimmy G is, is across the sideline and uh, San Francisco. Imagine what Bill could do and Josh McDaniels could do. I mean, I'm, you know, Shanahan's maximizing the run game, but, you know, with that defense on the other side, with that coaching, um, in, in New England, you'd have to imagine they'd be pretty competitive this year if they had a Jimmy G. Okay, so when it comes to Joe Burrow, you've got two obvious games that you're looking at in the schedule and you're saying, oh my God, these could be it. You could see, you know, Miami, Cincinnati. You could see Tua, Cincinnati against the Chargers. You, you could see Herbert. Um, you won't, though. These are two games we're going to drool over, but we will end up seeing the Bridge guys versus Burrow. Chargers. Uh, that defense will be a tough draw for Burrow week one. Uh, I think the last 12 quarterbacks who went first overall are winless in their first career starts. That would be a huge win for Burrow if he did it on the road versus that defense. And even against Tyrod Taylor, who is an experienced player, and they'll play complimentary football. Um, the last guy that did it, as far as first-round pick quarterbacks, um, <clears throat> no, first overall quarterbacks to get that win, uh, their first start, David Carr in 2002. So maybe Joe doesn't want to get that win. I don't know. Maybe he just throws that game because he doesn't want to break the trend. You've got also in Miami uh, that possibility, as I mentioned, of Tua and Joe. But I, I think there's a good chance you could see a lot of Fitzpatrick this year. You, you just could. You might. Uh, and we might be disappointed in those two games, which look uh, tantalizing uh, on the schedule cards. Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, uh, goodbye 2004 draft class. I kind of feel sad about that. I'm not going to lie. You've got Rivers. You've got Roethlisberger. These are guys I grew up watching and then played against, uh, and I feel old as fuck and sad. Um, nothing else I can say about that, but it'll be a good football game. And two teams in the AFC here that if the lead dogs in the AFC falter and take a step back, these two teams are going to be good. They're going to be good now. Um, Houston, Kansas City rematch of the 24-point blown lead. Uh, nothing more to say there. Deshaun, Pat, going to be fun. New Orleans at Philadelphia. We got Jank uh, against the Eagles where he spent six years. And for a lot of people, they probably identify more with Jenkins as, a, uh, as an Eagle than, than a Saint. And uh, with good reason. I mean, you know, he, he was a huge part of uh, everything in Philly, including that Super Bowl run, and obviously uh, got a ring in New Orleans as well. But it's been a while. And that was like the Jank with hair. I think Jank had hair back then, looked way different. I've never seen anybody look so much different uh, through their career as Malcolm Jenkins. And uh, I know that the Philly community loves him and he loves the Eagles. So that, that'll be an interesting game. Cleveland, New York, OBJ. I feel like he's going to be so weirdly well-behaved, uh, but there could be sparks. We'll see. 
Um, Bucks, Vegas Raiders. Okay, I circled this one because it's Halloween week. You've got two franchises that every week fans come together uh, to dress up as pirates. And it's fucking Halloween. And it's Vegas. Bucks fans are going to drive the prices down in Vegas. They're going to be hanging out at Margaritaville and playing slots. That's it. There's not, not going to be any bottle service, expensive tables. Bucks fans, they're good, hearty, budget Florida folks that are going to they're going to go to Vegas. They're going to live it up, but they're not going to spend crazy. That's just what I think about the Bucks fans. They are going to dress like pirates. So are the Vegas fans. That shit is going to be a shit show if we have fans in the stands. Um, Philly, Cleveland. If Clowney signs with the Browns, wow. That's going to be a chippy game. Uh, it'll be a battle up front. You're going to have possibly the best O-line in football, um, possibly, against the premier duo of edge rushers in that division, uh, probably. You know, I have to think, yeah, 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 yeah. Checking out, checking out. Yep, that's checking out. One of the best duos in the league, if it was Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney. That is going to be a battle if that happens. Uh, Jets and Browns, the trilogy. It's developing. You don't know it's developing, but this Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, it's bird and magic. It's, that's what it's going to be before it's all said and done. You know, they will have already played each other twice. The first one being Baker's, um, the first one being Baker's first appearance in the NFL. I remember where I was that night. I mean, it was a Monday night football game. Uh, we were all out as a defense eating in Philly at a nice steakhouse and watching the game. I just remember looking around the room and watching guys react to Baker Mayfield and saying, wow, this guy's got it. Holy shit, he's got it. Because the Jets blew a 14-0 lead in that game, and the Browns came back and got the W. Sam didn't play great. So the week, you know, the second time they played each other, the Jets and the Browns, uh, in the last couple of years, actually, Darnold didn't play because Darnold had mono. This was last year. So technically, they've only played each other once. Uh, but, you know, the two teams, the two franchises post-making those picks, which, you know, that's a huge impasse. I mean, the first two quarterbacks taken that year, I believe, yeah, were Baker and uh, Darnold. And um, we'll see how it works out for them down the line. This would be the third meeting of those teams. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if those teams and those quarterbacks can take steps forward this year, especially I feel like the Browns, it's a make-or-break year for them. Uh, which is a little bit unfair. New coach, uh, who I think is going to do a good job. Baker, new system. I think people are very hard on Baker because he he talks a lot and he's vocal. Sam, on the other hand, big market. You know, people are going to be hoping he takes that next step. But you know, with the Jets, they don't have the talent that Cleveland has. It's more of a building process for them. He always has a bit of an excuse this year when it comes to like, listen. You know, the pieces are not fully in place. For, for Baker, if Baker fails, people are going to come down on him hard, and that game will be an interesting barometer. Ravens-Titans, you got a rematch. Enough said. That was an awesome playoff game. I mean, not awesome if you wanted a close game or if you're a Ravens fan, but if you have money on the Titans, it was awesome. Uh, so it was awesome for me. Jason Garrett, he's going to get the, Gi- he's going to get the Cowboys. Uh, those handshakes are going to be something after the game. Kingsbury and Rule, okay? Uh, obviously, Arizona and Carolina. These are two college hot shots, uh, very differently packaged. Okay, I don't think Rule is living in a house like our boy Kingsbury. He also isn't living the life 
uh, after 10 p.m. that Kingsbury is. But otherwise, they come from high-powered offense schools uh, in the Big 12, and they matriculated to the NFL in the past couple of years. Kingsbury has, uh, has taken some shots since he's been in the league. I mean, he was definitely that, that coach that people kind of side-eyed getting a job so quickly. And, uh, and Rule, you know, seemed to jump to the front of the list pretty quick as well. So they're two coaches who are going to be under the microscope. Uh, when they met in the Big 12, Baylor lost the first one, 38-24, in their first one in 11 year. Um, and actually, they played really well. They kind of outplayed Texas Tech. They turned the ball over four times. Okay, The second time, they beat Texas Tech in 18, 35-24. So Matt Rule has kind of had the upper hand offensively uh, the first two meetings. We'll see how it translates, um, especially with a one-year jump. Can Kingsbury, you know, assert his dominance with a young Kyler Murray in that matchup? I like the Cardinals this year. I really do. I think they're in a really tough division, but I would look for them to challenge the Rams even uh, for that three or two spot in that division. Uh, the Chargers, they got to travel 10,000 miles more than the Chiefs. I'm sure it happens a lot with them geographically being on the West Coast, but that's the biggest disparity between two teams in the division. Um, sleeper conflict here. One thing I noticed, talked to a TV friend, there's a Masters conflict. Masters that Sunday, uh, Jets, late game on CBS. Uh, CBS is going to lose their entire New York market to the Jets. Whew, that hurts. Who planned that? Um, Monday Night Football, kind of underwhelming, not my favorite slate. Uh, week three, you got Chiefs and Ravens. That's what everybody's drooling over. That's consensus favorite game here. Kind of a weak lineup as you look at it. You need the Rams to be good because you got them twice. You got them right in the meat of the schedule, and you got them on the back end as well. Uh, so the Rams need to be good because you got them a few times. Holding your breath that the Pats are competitive week 16. Play the Bills late. You also hope they're competitive week nine. You got them there as well. And then good news, uh, no Jags, Titans on Thursday night. So a lot to unpack. Uh, and you know, I, I, I said that so casually, it's just, people get tired of seeing color rush Jags Titans. It's just hideous. It's a hideous combination when the Jags do that gold thing and the Titans just do that blue thing. It just fucking sucks. I don't know how to describe it. You, you, you've got that color. I don't know what color it is that the, the Jags wear, um, but it's hideous and we don't have to see it, uh, juxtaposed to that, that, uh, that powder blue, that Carolina blue. Um, so that's good news. Uh, I didn't get a chance to look at the Thursday night to see what color rush matchups we have. Maybe we'll delve into that next week. Let's get to a mailbag, shall we? From J Mart Jamboree. And I have to compliment J Mart Jamboree. The new protocol on our pod is to compliment um, for at least a minute the cat that, um, that authors the best question of the week. And John Martin is our guy. He's a UK alumnus. He likes the drums. He likes hiking. He's a Kentucky fan from start to finish. And he lives in Lexington. And he has a profile picture that is just tremendous. He is in some sort of a mountain pass uh, hiking. He's got gloves on, Kentucky uh, pullover. We get it. You like Kentucky. No salt, bro. Kentucky's a a fine program. Um, Also a great header. Great header. My man's got that same mountain pass picture. Um, likes hiking, likes Kentucky. He's good with me, minus the Kentucky. Subbed that for Virginia. We're basically the same guy. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing to you, John Martin, but great question. Your question is, 
uh, what is one song that instantly transports you to a cherished memory of a person, place, adventure, or all three? It's a great fucking question. I could do a whole pod on this. Um, I just ran through some songs. I threw my thing on shuffle for a couple minutes as I wrapped the, the pod prep, and uh, a few songs came up for sure. There's, I mean, like, I'm really big about this. I really believe that uh, music can trigger memories as well as almost anything. Um, I could look at a picture of something and, and that's fine, but I could hear a song that reminds me of a time period and I can see it, feel it, hear it, that whole thing. Um, Immortality by Pearl Jam. I've talked about this before, but this was one of the first songs on Shuffle. This reminds me of both Super Bowls, but especially the, the Patriots Super Bowl um, because it was just the thought and Pearl Jam is one of my favorite bands. This might be my favorite Pearl Jam song. It's just one of those things that, you know, when you win that trophy, you, you are truly immortal. And for me, waiting on that first winning season, waiting on that first Super Bowl, it was just such a long time coming. It was, a you know, I daydreamed about it all year, listening to that song, daydreamed about it, listened to it on the stadium. I can feel the bus ride to uh, Energy Stadium in Houston, driving to Houston. I remember it vivid, vividly in that whole week's a blur, but just listening to that song on my pregame. And then getting ready to go out to play, um, you know, in the, I believe it was our first playoff game in Philly. Uh, and we practiced at the stadium. It was a very cold day. Um, and me and LeGarrette Blunt, as we usually are, one of the last ones out to practice because we're old and we're getting ready. And uh, we're walking through the stadium. And this was an uncertain time where you weren't sure how good we were going to be with Nick Foles, a lot, of, a lot of unknowns. You know, it was, a, it was a bit of a deflating time with Carson's injury. And I just remember I was walking through the, the bowels of uh, Lincoln Financial Field. And uh, they, they got the radio on. It's rock radio. I've never heard the song Immortality on the fucking radio before. Never. And it's on all loudspeakers. It just, it just, I round the corner and it's on. And I'm walking there with LeGarrette. And we're the two guys from New England. Um, and we're walking out to take this the field to do our first playoff practice in Philly. And I'm saying to myself, is this fucking omen or is this an omen? And I turned and said something to, to LG. And of course he just laughed. Like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I don't know who these people are, who's Pearl Jam, but I'll always remember that. And that song for me is linked to those Super Bowl runs, runs for me. I'll give you a retirement one for me. What well, is almost independence day. Uh, Van Morrison It's probably my favorite Van Morrison song as well. Um, but you know, I listened to it a lot leading up to retirement. And I did think of retirement as like independence for me because I've daydreamed about retiring for a long time and being out of football and being kind of unburdened with it. And I know some people are like, well, football, is not a burden. It's the greatest job in the world. But sometimes you just want to be free from it. If all you've known your entire adult life was being under the gun and the pressure of football, you don't really know who you are. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot, you know, to be desired and breaking away from it and seeing, you know, what you're really like minus the structure of, uh, of being a professional athlete. And uh, I was listening to that kind of all week. I remember it was the night before I was supposed to retire. I was just listening to it in the room, you know, kind of hanging out. And it was a thunderstorm. I swear to God, this shit, it just sounds too cool, but it was true. It was like I was just sitting there and thinking to myself, like, okay, it's on. Like, tomorrow, I got to do it. And, in fact, when I retired, uh, I invited a bunch of people over. Uh, to have a little retirement drinking party because one, I need to get a buzz before I retired because that's a big leap of faith. And two, once you invite people over, you can't like when you tell them it's a retirement party, 
don't tell anybody, but it's a retirement party. They show up. You can't like change your mind and let the party down. Yeah, I was thinking ahead. So almost Independence Day, Van Morrison. Um, Cataracts. Cataracts by Freddie Gibbs reminds me of last year. Um, I was living with my parents, okay, because we were, we were moving uh, in town into a new house. And uh, I was living with my parents, feeling cooped up. My parents are great hosts. But, you know, two young kids in a guest room with another guest room and like a bathroom. It was, it was really nice. Great, great setup. Thanks, mom and dad. But I needed some fucking air a lot. Freddie, Gr- F- Freddie Gibbs had just uh, dropped his new uh, album, Bandana, which is a classic already. And I just would get in the car uh, and I would just drive and listen to Cataracts. I would listen to the album and I would probably drive faster than I was supposed to. Uh, but Cataracts will make you do that. And I love the song. That reminds me of last summer, my first summer out of football, and I'm spending it at my parents' house. It's like just super weird. Um, okay, the entire Bruce Springsteen Tunnel of Love album. Um, my dad's boat in the summer growing up. Great memories. He had like two tapes. That was one of them. That motherfucker was staying in that boat all summer. And I'm glad uh, because it is a great album. Very underrated Bruce Springsteen album. Okay, Say It Ain't So, Weezer. This is a weird one, but I was listening to Weezer on my disc man. Uh, I remember this very vividly sitting at the lunch table in fourth grade. And I, I was friends with these three people. Okay. So there's two dudes and a girl. We all used to sit at the same table. I'm not going to name the girl because this day she tapped me on the shoulder. And I took off my Walkman and Say It Ain't So was playing. And obviously it was on that Blue Weezer album. And she shared with me that she had just had her period that day for the first time ever. And I said, what is a period? Like no idea. And then vividly described to me what that was in fourth grade. And come to think of it, that was pretty fucking early. Um, But I'll always remember when I hear that album uh, that day, just the shock of learning what that was. And, uh, probably the only time I'll speak freely about that phenomenon um, on this podcast in general. Spaceship, Kanye West. Okay, that was freshman year of college. So so was Last Call, uh, which was on that album. Spaceship was the training camp song. Literally, you felt like uh, you were on a spaceship and you hadn't made shit. Like you were obviously a scholarship athlete, but you were in the Cavalier Inn, which is a since defunct big hotel on the corner of uh, Ivy and uh, Emmett in Charlottesville. And this thing was, it just, I'm thinking about it right now, the smell of it, the sight of it, those, those hallways that like, they, they, they had cheap glass windows where the, where the outside of the hallways it was kind of indoor outdoor hallway. The whole team was standing there for training camp. It's a hundred degrees. You'd walk out of your room in the morning at like 5.00 AM that cheap door would close behind you. And you just feel the humidity just hit you in the face. You think about Al Groh, who used to coach for the jets. And, you know, one of my, my dear friends, he's like a family member to me, but he was a bad motherfucker. He was a tough coach. We used to do this drill called two spot. You go down the, the bowl at the bottom of, of uh, our practice field. And anybody that played football knows the lower you go, the more humid it is. And it was humid down there. We just do Oklahoma for like three hours straight. I've talked about this before. We had a coach 
that was like getting on a guy for getting for getting cramps. He was yelling at him, standing over him. Fucking coach dropped with cramps. Those two ended up on the same table in the training room. That's how hot it was there in Charlottesville, Virginia, circa like 04, 05. That was when that album was hot. And I used to listen to Spaceship at night and just think, holy shit, it's like Groundhog Day every day. And then honestly, at the end of that that training camp, uh, they played Blinded by the Light, the last the last uh, practice. Any football player, whether you're a college football player, pro football player, knows the last practice in training camp, you feel like your whole life is ahead of you. You're like, I get to go home and like sit on my couch and not be up till 1030 at night at meetings and then up the next morning at six. Like, I don't have to hit anybody every day. Like, oh, my God, we're going to be in just shoulder pads tomorrow. Um, that is a great feeling. We played Blinded by the Light a lot. Then last call off that album was like the last call song at the bar back then. And we'd, we'd be at the Biltmore for Charlottesville people that know the Biltmore, which is an iconic bar. Um, if you walk up the stairs on the left side of the Biltmore uh, towards the upstairs bar, this is the outside stairway. Okay. So you walk in, you walk to the left, you make your way to the upstairs bar to the left. There is a little roof on the right-hand side right before you walk back into the bar. Um, and that little roof was my perch. That's where I used to sit with my college first-year buzz, which is an all-time great buzz because drinking hasn't gotten old. You're still not technically allowed to be drinking, so it's, there's something to that. And uh, you just you feel good. You got energy. And I used to sit up on that perch and just listen to Last Call uh, when they shut the bar down, of course, they didn't kick us out right on time. Uh, but the Biltmore, that's what it reminds me of training camp, the Biltmore. Um, and that was college dropout. So uh, Deer Tick, if you, you're familiar with Deer Tick, they have an album called Black Dirt Sessions that took me back to the height of my drinking dark liquor and in excess. Um, that was in the early part of this last decade, uh, the drunkest I have ever been was at a deer tick concert. Uh, it was at the Thunderbird in St. Louis. Um, there's a drummer for that band, big imposing guy. Um, I met him at a bar after the show and we didn't say a lot of words. All I remember was just shoveling Jack Daniel shots. Uh, and I don't remember anything else. Uh, my buddy, Ben James, who, uh, was living out in St. Louis at the time. Shout out to Ben James. Um, one of my best friends, he, uh, I was 275 pounds at the time. He had to drag me into the uh, into the condo to make sure I got to like physically pull me. I mean, that should be it's like a strongman competition. Um, you know, back then, my lovely wife, we didn't have kids back then. She used to wake up a lot to me coming home and making too much noise at two, three in the morning. So, um, God bless her, man. What a what a uh, what a time period we used to we used to run hard in the uh, early 2010s and deer tick was uh was 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 a night wow was it a night um drunkest i've ever been for sure shout out to that drummer um don't know your name don't know if you remember that but uh i know i had to be just a sight to see that night philly i mean obviously meek mill is always going to be a big part of that there was there's that that nfc championship pregame video that uh it's one of my p favorite pieces of video that i've ever seen because i was there and i feel it every time i watch it and as I, I've always said, like anybody could get it that night. And uh, 
when that meet came on, like you could just tell we were not to be fucked with. And then blue notes for me was big. So like blue notes is, is, is a more chill song, but I used to listen to it at night in, in, in training camp. Um, and I used to look out my window cause my window had a view and we'd stay at the one down in the Navy yard, that little, whatever it is, holiday Inn, And my window had a view of the stadium and the stadium would be lit up at night like a Christmas tree. And I was just so excited to play there. Not just the first year, but like especially the second year when I had come back um, and thought I was done, come back. And, you know, I used to listen to Blue Notes at night and that stadium would just glow. And I would just get so excited. And I was just really feeling the whole, the whole meek movement that was happening as our team came together and, uh, and kind of took over the city. So, uh, and then my last year in Philly, I listened to a lot of In the Light, uh, 10 years gone physical gra- graffiti for me was was a big you know this is an album that i wouldn't have counted as my favorite album until philly and then like it was just a special year or two and i used to just listen to that album nonstop. so um yeah i mean anything kendrick money trees for me was like 2012 it was just being on that st louis rams team which was a lot of fun we had a fun d-line fun defense we had fun west coast trips that was as much fun as I've ever had playing football. I know that's not popular to say because we weren't that good, but our defense was damn good. I was proud to come to work every day. And the Kendrick uh, Good Kid Mad City was the soundtrack to that year. And we had a lot of fucking fun together on the road. And Money Trees brings me right back, makes me feel 26 years old or whatever I was. I was probably a little bit older than that. I'm really dating myself. But uh, I felt kind of invincible when Money Trees came on. So that's a few of them. I could do a whole pod on that. It's a great question, J Mart Jamboree. Um, it's damn near a segment. You launched a segment. So shout out to J Mart Jamboree. Follow him. I'll be back Monday. Uh, obviously, we have a lot to talk about next week. I'll, I'll take some more notes on this schedule. Um, and, and, uh, and I've got some good guests lined up for you, too. We got Last Dance coming up uh, Sunday night. That'll be fun. And it's going to be even more depressing when that thing ends. It's going to feel like uh, when, when all you have is baseball at that time period in the summer when the NBA finals is over and the Stanley cup is over. It's just baseball. This is going to be even worse. You're going to have no baseball, no basketball. Well, maybe basketball. We'll see. But the last dance is going to end. It's been fun. We'll talk about it Monday morning. We'll talk more about the schedule. And I, like I said, good guest. I haven't wanted to say who it is, but this guy, he's big time. He says, yeah, I'll be on. He says this week, next week, you know how that thing goes. I'm going to get him on eventually. Mystery guest. Looking forward to next week. Y'all take care.